Hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. You may be seated. I, I will say all my life, <clears throat> the Lord has indeed been faithful, hasn't he? Yes. <clears throat> all my life, he has been faithful. And I, uh, I, I appreciate his goodness, his faithfulness, and we are <clears throat> growing apostolic legacy and I um, <clears throat> want to say that I will <clears throat> be uh, preaching on two chapters in the Bible that I have <clears throat> to my recollection never preached on before um, about a man that I've, I don't know that I've ever preached on before I may have referenced him a time or two uh, in my life uh, in a lesson and probably <clears throat> it deserves to be uh, a long time spent and yet they're heavy uh, chapters during a heavy time period in the history of Israel and why I just have been listening and reading and hearing what's going on in the Middle East and the <clears throat> rabbis that are predicting the soon return of their Messiah. They are preaching, if you will, teaching that uh, chapters like Ezekiel 36 chapter that we love because it talks about the outpouring of the Spirit of God. It talks about writing the law in our hearts. There are also references in that chapter to the mountains of Israel, to the mountains of Israel, all of a sudden that have been desolate for years to begin to have vineyards and to begin to flourish. And those are areas that are <clears throat> north and including some of the Golan Heights. And uh, they, of course, um, that area is being uh, settled more and more by Israelis and they are planting more and more vineyards. And they believe that those fulfillment of those verses are coming to pass and they believe that's why this war with Gaza was to try to remove uh, the Israelis from all Palestinian settlements and that <coughs> this is in fact a holy war for them and that it is a war for their survival and they are making an all call to Jews everywhere, even that are not Israelis. And they have almost 30,000, a lot of them from the United States that had never been to Israel, young men and young women that have volunteered and gone and are serving now in the IDF. These are things that are happening today. These are things that are happening in this moment. And I know it is easy 
we got a lot of problems here and there's a lot going on in my house and there's a lot going on in a lot of houses and it's easy to just sort of not worry about all of that and I, I, I can almost hear the wheels turning this morning, Pastor, don't get heavy duty on us and I, I promise I, I, I'm not going to but I, I really want to preach about Micah of Mount Ephraim. A man by the name of Micah who lived in Mount Ephraim, one of the mountains that ended up going into desolation. It was not wonderfully uh, inhabited uh, for many, many years. And if you really understand the, where Israel is, and I, I don't have a, a light to show you, but there's the, the Dead Sea, that is the, the large black uh, area sort of in the middle of Israel, down low. The Sea of Galilee is up uh, above that. And these mountains begin, Jerusalem is north of the Dead Sea. And these mountains begin right there about midways. And you see these two red arrows and because it talks about where Dan present or was allowed inheritance. And if you study uh, Israel and the prophecy, Dan was given, first of all, inheritance near the coast. And then later, Dan took an inheritance that was up in the northern parts of the mountains. That northern section that Dan inhabited became uh, one of the reasons that Israel went into idolatry because they set up a city in which they set up a golden idol and they began worshiping idols from then on. So when you, you look at all the history, and I'm not going to belabor the historical significance and read you at Ezekiel 36 or, or get into any of that. But a lot of people ask questions and we've been doing Monday night Bible study and they'll say, why is Dan not mentioned in Revelation? And why is Manasseh mentioned? And you will read about who uh, Manasseh came from the group or the tribe of Manasseh and why that's important. People like Gideon and other judges that were there came from Manasseh. So Manasseh gets mentioned and Dad, uh, Dan gets left out. And then why is Dan given to idolatry? And then we'll see the two chapters that I'm going to talk about, Judges the 17th chapter and Judges the 18th chapter. Now, Judges is a book that is sort of the interim book from Joshua before the kings. The first kings became uh, in place. Uh, there's another book, Ruth, that comes after Joshua, and it's a love story between uh, a lady who was a Moabitess woman who went down and uh, <coughs> married a, a Jewish family that was escaping and then came back, and it's a powerful, wonderful story in the Bible, a great love story, great, wonderful story that you should read if you've never read it before. It, it has a lot of powerful verses that we use in weddings and, you know, your people shall be my people and your God, my God, and all, all of those wonderful things. But in this 
sort of sandwich between Joshua and the kings or Samuel who anoints the first king is this book of Judges. And it's all kinds of stories about people that were established as judges for Israel. You have to understand the what was going on in Israel. It was a bunch of tribes. The tribes fought each other. The tribes did all kinds of things. They were not coalesced into a, a unit. They were not a nation. This was, they were, in fact, they would go and they would fight one another at times. And they would, uh, you know, in fact, they almost wiped Benjamin out. You can read it in Judges. And, they, and, and, and all kinds of stories. People like Samson and people like Gideon and are, are, were all, and Deborah, powerful woman of God, that uh, were all judges. And it's a great book. I'm not... Uh, you know, if you want to read it sometime, that's, that's wonderful. Just gives you a lot of the history of what was going on in Israel. But then it hits 17 and 18, and, it, and it's about Micah, the, who lived in the mountains and Mount Ephraim, the mountains. And I know that Micah came from a dysfunctional family. You have to realize that no matter what you've had for your family, it's not as bad as the dysfunction of Micah's family. Micah was horrific. I don't know how they got money, but he came from a very elite, wealthy, powerful family. I mean, it was a, an amazing family. And at some point, the Bible doesn't really tell us exactly what went on, but he was living at home and he found where his mom hid some money. And she didn't have just a little bit of money. She, the Bible says that she had 1,100 shekels of silver. Now, I know that means nothing to most of us, but a, a yearly wage was about 10 shekels of silver. So you can imagine, if you will, <clears throat> you know, if, if your wage is $50,000 a year, then she had 110 years worth at $50,000 a year. If your salary is $10,000 a year, she had 110 years worth times 10,000. Do you, you understand what I'm saying? So this was not a little bit of money. And yet she was living still on, on uh, she may have had other money, she had whatever. And as judges just sort of implies, I, I put it up there, you can read, <coughs> read it for yourself, the first couple of verses. But judges implies that Micah <coughs> at some point got his mom's money, and I don't know why, I don't know where, I don't know, wasn't in a bank, I don't know, he pirated it out of the house, he sold it, he bent, spent it, I don't know what he did with it, <clears throat> but uh, life rocked on in Micah's house until one day his mom noticed the money was gone, and she was furious. She was majorly upset, okay? And she 
reached her hand toward heaven and said, may God curse whoever took my money. Now, Micah had enough of a little bit of a thing about him that that kind of scared him a bit. And all we know is that he finally is willing to go to mom and say, hey, mom, you remember that money that you had? You know, well, how could she forget it? I mean, 1,100 shekels, 110 years worth of salary. He said, well, guess what? I stole that money. And her response was, you low down sneaky snake, I'm going to disinherit you. You know what she did? Blessed be thou of the Lord, my son. That's why I said this family put the fun in dysfunction. She didn't correct his bad behavior. She didn't admonish him. She didn't say, look, boy, obviously I don't have eternal life and you're going to one day inherit this and why didn't you come to me? What did you need? She begins to worship the Lord. And she said, blessed be thou of the Lord, my son. Now you can keep reading in Judges. For those of you who may not have been familiar with this story, I, as I said, I don't ever know that I have Right, you know, I don't know that I've ever preached from this story. But, you know, here it was. She did not acknowledge why she had been hoarding such a large amount of money. I, I mean, you know, whatever. And, of course, I know once you start, you know, how much money is enough? And everybody would say you never get to that point. And you can read, you know, well, if I had a million dollars, we think, oh, boy, I'd retire. And then, well, if I had two million, and then if I had a hundred million, and then I, you know, I can't imagine being fined uh, $400 million. I, that's just beyond mind-boggling for me about, you know, that. And I, I you know, okay, so whatever's going on. I, when you look at the amount of money and the staggering amount of money that she had, you would say, uh, you know, wow, um, did she need that much? And yet, Micah was willing to disrespect her. Micah was stealing from her, must have known she had more. It wasn't like she was going to be destitute or thrown out. Uh, I, I guess they were living together. They, I don't know that their relationship was on the rocks per se. And, you know, I must have known she wouldn't go hungry. That just was money she could miss. And yet he did what was right in his own eyes. For him, it became 
became, somehow he was able to justify taking that 1,100 shekels of silver. How did he figure it out that this is going to be okay and mom will just somehow make it without that? And yet he did. And, you know, what's amazing is that She was not as concerned about the fact that he was disrespectful. He was, didn't, you know, honor your father and mother. She didn't, that he's a thief. He broke another commandment, thou shalt not steal. But she didn't bother to correct those two commandments that he broke. The mouth that cursed when it was gone was the mouth now that goes, bless the Lord. You know, as long as things are going my way, bless the Lord. When things don't go my way, God, why did you do I can't believe a God that would let this happen. I just don't understand. It's not fair. Not any of us have ever felt that way, but Micah's mother did. She was cursing when things weren't going her way, blessing when she had $1,100 in her 1,100 shekels, not dollars. It would have been a whole lot more, maybe over a million in today's economy. Wow. And yet, that didn't seem to trouble her. It didn't seem to bother her that she was so easily swayed. She didn't talk about the third commandment, the covetousness. What was it about her money that he was so willing to disrespect her, the greed, the dishonor her, the thief, the thievery? But rather, you know, You read, go ahead, you can turn it to the next slide. You know what she does? She, when she gets the money back, she says, I'm going to take 200 shekels of this and make you a God. Almost one fifth of the money. I mean, so it wasn't like she needed the money. She was able to, bring it down to the silversmith, 200 shekels of silver, and say, make my son this pretty little God. But yet when you read she blessed the Lord, it says Jehovah. And she gave it to the founder, and they make this, God, and I don't know what it looked like. The Bible doesn't tell us what it looks like, but so he's got this God sitting up somewhere, and he has a little he has a little house of gods. Isn't that cool? Go ahead, next. Yeah, there you are. Micah had this house of gods. He had the and, and what's neat is he had an ephod, anybody know what an ephod is? That was that 
thing that the high priest wore when he went into the Holy of Holies, he took it off, but other than the time he was in the Holy of Holies, he wore this ephod that had the Urim and the Thummim and it had this special ability to God to speak through and it had all the tribe stones on it. And Micah, that, that would be an expensive endeavor, just the precious stones and the golden thread. And Micah had one of those ephods made. So he had this ephod there, and he had this new God made out of 20 years worth of salary. And then he had what it, what it calls teraphim. And teraphims were little gods that the Syrians, which would be even further north. That's where Syria was. So he had this compilation of gods. He had the teraphim from the Syrians. Now you can say, well, he was a brilliant man because if the Syrians came and attacked, he could hide the other and go, look, I, I worship your gods. <laughs> if they came from Israel, from Jerusalem up, he could go, oh, look, here's the ephod. I worship your God. And then he had the covetous, greedy, disrespectful God that his mother made him. So now you see why I said uh, you don't preach about this sermon a lot. And yet the sixth verse powerfully speaks in Judges 17. In those days there was no king in Israel but every man did that which was right in his own eyes. We're not living in that hour today where people do whatever they want, but that's the way it was in the book of Judges. Now what's amazing is this magnanimous woman who said, bless the Lord, I'm going to give it to God, she kept 900 shekels for herself. That was 90 years worth of salary. I don't know if she felt like that was for her retirement. I don't know, but she didn't give it back. And yet here it was that that phrase, doing what is right in my own eyes, became sort of the banner that judges falls under because everybody was their own judge. I know what's best for me. I know what God wants for me. I know, I don't, I, I can figure this out. I can kinda, I, I can have those gods from Syria. I can have this ephod from Jerusalem. I can, I, can, I, I'm, I just kinda like to play my odds of whatever, whatever, how, whatever was in his mind. But go on and you will read what else he does in, in this chapter, but, Jesus said it like this, if any man will come after me, let him what? Yeah, you don't hear that very often on a Sunday morning because it's not, nobody wants to deny themselves. It's not what I feel like, it's not what I want to do, it's well, I, you know, I don't kind of, I don't get into that, I don't get into going to church, I don't get into, you know, needing to be baptized. I, I, I'm just kind of like, I kind of do my thing and that's kind of, you know, you've got to understand I'm just me and yet what did the Lord say? 
If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. That's one of the requirements we don't want to talk about. I, I love the fact that we're living in grace and that anybody can come and when we thank the Lord for his forgiving power. But let me tell you, there's a downside to it, if you want to call it that, and that is that the Lord wants you to deny yourself and change your behavior and take up your cross every day. You may go, oh, that's more than I want. Well, guess who then is God? I hope you don't have a little house of God's, whether it's your barn or your garage, and that's my God. Huh? Anyway, Micah did. I'm not preaching about us, I'm preaching about Micah. And I understand, people say, I don't want to, well, I just don't want to fill in the blank. I don't want to but you know what? It's not about me. It's about obeying his word. It's about doing what he says. That's what it is. To be a Christian is to be like Jesus. It's not to be like I want Jesus to be. And I, I love it when people say, well, I think Jesus would like me. I think Jesus is okay with me. I think Jesus will great your thinking now for him. That makes you even smarter than he is. It's not what his word says. But anyway, that's a whole nother sermon. I'm preaching about Micah of Mount Ephraim. Go on, next slide, sorry. You keep reading in Judges, the 17th chapter, and he, I didn't tell you, but he made his own son a priest. He was trying to, you know, he said, here, I'm gonna make my son a priest, let him be the one, and I'll consecrate him, and then, you know, he felt kind of bad about that because I guess his son, I don't know what his son was doing, but you know, this was a guy that was old enough to have adult children. The point is, he was not, this wasn't, you know, a 12-year-old or a 15-year-old that stole his mom's money. This was an adult son. I mean, he had sons that he could make a priest. This was an adult man that stole from his mother. Maybe he thought she's getting ready to die. I can just take the money. She'll never miss it, but then she did, and the whole thing started. I don't know. But the point is, she, he goes through, and he meets one day a guy who, by the sound of his voice, he can tell he's a Levite. Now, we find out later in the back, the end of chapter 18, that actually he is the grandson of Moses. He is actually, he comes through Manasseh, he comes through, anyway, he is the grandson of Moses, and he is a Levite. And so he tells him, I'll give you 10 shekels of silver a year and some clothes and I'll get your food and I'm going to hire you to be my preacher. You're going to be my priest, if you will, because he had left and he was traveling. And, and uh, so, wow, that's uh, you give me a year's wage, a good salary. I'll do whatever you want. I'll say whatever you want. And there's a whole host of things that could be said about, you know, somebody who is more of a hired hand. You know, you hired me and then you can fire me rather than God was the one that ordained us and uh, not a hireling. And the Lord talked about all that. And I'm not 
going into that because I'm not making this about me. I'm making it about Micah of Ephraim. But you understand, when, when I say things like, I don't work for you, I work for God, and God's able to, bam, I could drop dead before the end of the service. And I'm not saying that, oh, Pastor Bill, be, be careful you don't say that. I, it's not about me. It's about him. And yet, when you hire a preacher, then that means you can fire a preacher, and that means that you can, maybe that preacher will go to a place he can make more money, or let's not talk about that. But isn't that true? Okay. So, when you're not called, when you don't feel called to a place, called to, anyway point is, Micah consecrated the Levite. Now, I don't know how Micah felt like he was able to consecrate a priest. That had to come from God, but he did. And this young man became his priest. And you know what the last verse of this 17th chapter, Micah says, now know I that the Lord will do me good, seeing I have a Levite to my priest. So his notion was, as long as I have a preacher, you know, well, that's my church. God's going to be nice to me. Now, we don't have anybody that feels that way today. But I have seen or heard of people that, well, you know, I'm a member of the such and so, and I'm a member of that. I don't go. I'm not there. I'm not, I don't pray, I don't read the word, I, but as long as I have a church, a Levite, then I'm okay. And that's kind of where Micah was. But let's just, there were no chapters in that book. And you know, what we see is that, you know, Micah has this mixture between serving the Lord, a priest in an ephod, and establishing his own religion, sort of gods. And, and, and this was, you know, what, what was so Horrific about this was that Micah realized he didn't have to go to Jerusalem. He had his own little house here. He had his own little place where he could go and worship. I don't have to, you know, just go right here. I don't need to go out anywhere. It's a long way down to Jerusalem three times a year. Oh, my Lord, I don't need to do that. I'm up in the mountains. It's a long journey. Whatever is in his mind, I don't, you know, I know, the, I know don't forsake the assembly yourself together. Come three times a year is what the Lord had said. Ah, that's not. I got my own little, I got my own little church right here, and it's amazing how we've seen the proliferation of everybody's got a ministry and everybody's got a word and everybody's got I'm you know I'm the church I am I got my own church I, and during COVID you know we all had church around the breakfast table except for us that were had to be here in the house and the church house to broadcast it but. You know, and so, wow, people just, I got my own little thing going, and I don't need it. And so Micah had consecrated the priest, and he had all of that. And this Levite was simply a hired hand, and, and somehow he believed that the Lord would do him good and go on. Next slide, sorry. And then chapter 18. In the days there was, it says it again, punches that 
verse again. In those days at the beginning, there was no king in Israel. And in those days, the tribe of Danites sought them an inheritance to dwell in. And all that day, all their inheritance had not fallen on the tribes of Israel. So there was no king. There was no magistrate. There was no ruler. There was no discipline. There was no morality. And I understand, you know, we've, we've got a movement even now in the United States. We want to do away with police. We want to do away. We don't want anybody in jail. We don't want anybody incarcerated. We want to treat everybody nice. And I understand. I, want, I, don't, I don't want to see anybody abused. And I, I got all of that. But let me tell you, when you go to that level, before long, there is no law. There is no respect. And everybody does what's right in your own it's been tried before, folks. 2024 is not the first year. 2023 is not the first year. 2022 is not the first year. If we don't have laws, then nobody's a lawbreaker. If we don't have, it's all well and good. But we prosecute whoever we want. And so what it says, you read in this 18th chapter, when they were by the house of Micah, that what happened was these five spies, the Danites decided they were going to come from the seacoast and go up north. And they ended up going up north. And so they're going through the hill country of what is present day Israel. And so they send out these five spies. And these are five spies from the tribe of Dan. And uh, I'm, I'm trying to hurry through here. I don't want to get you bogged down. But they listened and there was this guy and they could tell this is a Levite. They heard his voice and so they started questioning him. And, and uh, uh, go back. Well, let me just show you at the bottom of that. Oh, sorry. Uh, uh, they, they, they heard this voice of the young man, the Levite, and they turn to him and they go, what are you doing up here in the hill country? Who brought you up here? Now, and, and he's, you know, he's a hired hand and he says, well, this is how, thus and thus and Micah did this to me. He hired me and I am his priest. Notice he's not the priest of God. He knew I work for Micah. And what's amazing is they said, well, ask, you know, why don't you ask God if we should go this way and prosper? And so, you know, is it going to be okay with us? And so, guess what? He's nobody's dummy. His name is Jonathan. We'll find out later. Grandson of Moses. And Jonathan says, hey, I got, you want to know? I can speak a good word for you. Here's my word, go, do great. Live long and prosper. I'll give you any word you want to hear as long as you're passing a few shekels my way. Huh? We don't have that in America, but just saying. I need a new jet, by the way. My old one's two years old. What word do you want to hear today? I'm willing to give it to you. Anyway, just saying, not, not talking about us. Micah of Mount Ephraim. Anyway, so these guys left 
and they went to Laish. And there's a whole sermon in this Laish sermon. And in this Laish sermon is people that were careless. They didn't care. They were not, they were, they just kind of lived sloppy. They dwelt very securely because they were far up north. There weren't a lot of people there. There was no magistrate there. There was no army there. They didn't get mad if you did whatever you did. We, we, we love you. We love everybody. Don't, don't feel bad. We just, we, you come and be who you are and we, everybody's good. We're all buddies and you do your thing. We do our thing, and that was the people of Laish. And these five spies from Dan, and like I said, there's a whole sermon in the inhabitants of Laish at how if you live like a Laishite, you're going to get conquered. You're setting yourself up for failure. If you live like Nothing really matters. I'm not connected to anybody. I do my own thing. Some point and sometime, the enemy's going to send a spy and he'll attack you. And you're going to need a body. You're going to need connection. You're going to need the law. You're going to need something to help you. And we find people these days that want to do away with police, but then hire their own security, build a big wall. Why? Huh? You understand what I'm saying? Anyway, you know, solitariness means living your own life. I do my thing. Everybody do. I, I, long, you don't bother me. I don't bother you. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I hope we can bleep that out online. I don't mean to be offensive. Please forgive me. Go on, next slide. These five men go back and they tell the Danites, hey, there's a great place. (laughs) Before we get there, there's a god that's pretty expensive and an ephod and these teraphim and this molded image. And we can stop by there and we can pick them up. And so sure enough, about 600 Danites come running into town. They stand by the gate and the priest comes out of the little house, God house, and he sees them and he goes, what's going on? And they said, here, we're going to take this God. We're going to take the ephod. We're going to take the molten image. We're going to take the carved image. We're going to take the teraphim. And the priest goes, what are you guys doing? And you know what they say to him? Go ahead. Next slide. Just hold your peace. As a matter of fact, why don't you come and be with us? Wouldn't you rather be a priest to a whole tribe rather than just a priest to one family, one man? And he says, let me think about it. Sold to the highest bidder. I'm out of here. So he jumps into their caravan and off north they head. Well, guess what? (laughs) Micah comes home 
And he sees his God, his house of gods is empty. He sees the ephod, priest, everything's gone. And so he's all upset and he gathers his men and he chases them down. And he comes up to the Danites and he go he says as he's reproaching the Danite says what's your problem what ails you why why are you coming after us we did what we want to do don't get bent out of shape about this and Micah is like don't you realize you took my gods you got my priest. You took my ephod. You took all the stuff, and he uses this phrase, that I have made. You took what I made. It's not what God made. I want to tell you, there were numerous stories in Israel's history where a small group went and attacked a big group. And long as they were going in the name of the Lord, God gave them victory. Micah knew that his God wasn't able to fight for him. His God was in their possession. It's kind of hard to call on the Lord when your Lord is riding in the back of somebody else's car. God help me that's been your God now you're wanting it back don't ask God to give you that back he knew better oh but God I think that I know they weren't good for me but I want you to bring them back to me What are we talking about? He knew I've made that individual. I've made that thing. <laughs> and, and they basically said, you better be careful because you, you might make somebody mad. And, you know, they could jump on you and hurt you. That was a veiled threat. Go on. And the children of Dan just went on. Micah saw they were too strong for him, and guess what he did? Turned around and went back home. Godless, ephodless, teraphonless, priestless, he just went back home. And he was like, I can't do anything about this. Now, the insight in the last two verses of Judges, the 18th chapter, was that Dan set up the graven image, and now here we know the name of the priest, Jonathan, the son of Gershom, the son of Manasseh, which was another way of Moses. He and his sons were priests to the tribe of Dan until the captivity of the land. Now we know that in the meantime, down in Israel, Hophni and Phinehas, who were grandsons of Aaron, there was a lot of corruption, and I, I don't want to get into all of that, but the last 
verse of that chapter. They set up Micah's graven image, which he made all the time that the house of God was in Shiloh. So about 20 miles from where they were, they had an outpost where Joshua had set up. If you can't make it to Jerusalem, go here. And he would not go to Shiloh. He had his own little house of God's. He wouldn't be bothered. And so when you go on in that last slide, I think, it's sad to me, but I understand that when people experience the loss of a false god, it still feels bad. And you still want it back. And I, I know people that have, you know, been in bad relationships and they lose it and they go looking for it again. And it became a God to them, but they won't forsake it and serve the Lord. They just still want that, that they had. That's what I want. Now, what he realized, and we don't know, he may have realized, you know what? Mom's still got another 900 shekels. We can make another God. We can make another ephod. And we can make another whatever. But when you are centered on the wrong thing, then the enemy is able to rob you. Yes. But that's why we talk about having the Holy Ghost. That's why we talk about it being baptized. Is because... You don't have your God in a box or in the back of somebody's car. Your God is right here. Nobody can take my God. What are you saying? And I realize we, we've got some serious situations and issues and Brother David said impossible thing, but it can't Stop me yeah. from getting into the presence yeah. of exactly right. God. Yes. Yes. I don't care if the doctor says, let me grab your joy. Let me grab your peace. I'm taking it with me. You know what? You cannot take my joy. You cannot take my peace. You don't understand. I heard an old song one time. This joy I have. The world didn't give it to me. The world didn't give it. And the world can't take it away. What are you talking about? I serve a God that works on the inside to the outside. And nothing is able to stop the joy of the Holy Ghost. You say, well, but don't you get worried? Don't you get afraid? Don't you wish that you, uh, oh, sure, absolutely. I wish it was nothing but wonderful peace. And I, I wish all of that. But at the same time, nothing's going to stop my worship. Nothing's going to stop my love for him. You say, but I, I just don't feel, you know what, it's not about my, there's nothing that, whether I can't do it. <laughs> and I've told you stories, I've seen individuals that, you know, couldn't even, had their voice box removed because of cancer, who would sit and pound on the chair. And later when the Lord restored their voice, said, every time I did it, I was saying, I thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Jesus. 
Jesus. I thank you, Jesus. And one day the Lord restored their voice. They're not still alive today, but I want you to know nothing is going to stop my praise. Wherever I am, whatever I'm going through, there's nothing that can take my worship. When it becomes your God, oh, it becomes something else. I, I understand. I, I, I get it. We are at a, uh, come ahead, singers, I'm, I'm through. I, I preached about Micah, the Ephraim, of Mount Ephraim. There's a whole lot there, a whole lot more I could talk about whole lot more we could dive into. But I'm here to remind you that there is nothing shall separate us. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, thou art You say, but I I don't understand why God, he's still God. It's not my house of God's, it's the house of God. It's not what I want, it's not what, oh, he that comes after me, let him deny himself, follow after me. I know we're living in an hour that is just as chaotic as was in the book of Judges. And I've tried to illustrate that with some of the examples that I used of no law, no, and yet, oh, it should never stop us from the sense of, you know what? I have God right here. No matter what's going on, you can't touch this. This is where I can commune with Almighty God. Would you stand? If you, if you don't have the Holy Ghost inside, you've never taken the name in baptism. If you say, well, I don't have that kind of relationship with God. I, I, don't, I don't understand. I don't understand how you can act that way. Then your God is somewhere besides in here. Because when God's in here, then you can praise him wherever you are. It can flow like a river. You can just, that's why the Bible says, with joy shall you draw, what? Water from the wells of salvation. No matter what's going on in my life, yet will I rejoice. I will praise. And I, I, I appreciate it. I watched Sister Labdisa. I, I, I don't want to pick on her, but what a, you know, any time. And I, we're living with David and I, God has, has it, you know, we're, we're, every time he goes to the doctor, is there, I, I get that. But you know what? At some point, you just keep worshiping the Lord. God, you know what's going on. That's why she was up here rejoicing. Oh, is it all going to be? I'm going to tell you, I know a God that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all we ask or think. I know a God 
I serve a God that created us once. He can do it again. And yet if he doesn't, I still will praise and magnify and rejoice. If you want to come and just take a moment with the church body and just say, I'm going to worship you for a moment.